It's 1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. If you text the word movie, M-O-V-I-E, to 414-799-1620, we will be glad to send you a link to a story that has the trailer. You know what a movie trailer is? The movie trailer, it's a preview. It's You, you go to see the movies. We went and saw The Darkest Hour on New Year's Day, Monday. Really good movie about uh, Churchill the first couple of weeks when he became the prime minister, um, Great Britain, right before World War II. Um, and you sit through, you know, they run 7, 8, 9, 10, seems like, you know, forever and ever. They show movie trailers, previews. Um, there is the preview out to the new Slender Man movie that is going to be released in a couple months. Uh, the trailer is creating quite a stir if you want to see it it runs about two minutes and 40 seconds in, in some respects it's like your traditional horror trailer movie but it's also got some ties to what happened in wisconsin and that's what's generating the controversy if you want to get a link so you can view that trailer yourself if you simply text the word movie m-o-v-i-e to 414-799-1620 we will be glad to send it to you now before we get to our three big things Two updates. One, and I, I was listening to Eric's newscast, and you just you just sort of shake your head. The Milwaukee Common Council, again, a group that has way too much time on their hands, has been sitting around this morning and debating what, if anything, should happen to American sewer services. This is a big-time company that's done lots and lots of work for the city of Milwaukee and other cities around the area for a long time. In the, in the whole category of almost laughable things to get upset with. You've got a couple aldermen who are unhappy that a that three workers for this particular company showed up on a job site and were photographed with, with firearms that apparently they were legally carrying. And we remember the huge firestorm about this. Oh, this is terrible. You know, it, it gives the wrong image. Well, all right, instead of being concerned about why it is that workers felt the need to carry firearms, Again, you've got aldermen who are concerned about the optics, and this is how we deal with things in the city of Milwaukee. You have out-of-control crime. You have a person who is loading Christmas packages and wheelchairs into a van parked in front of their house on Christmas Day, and it's stolen in less than 60 seconds. The aldermen in Milwaukee aren't upset about that. They're upset with, gee, how does it look when, you know, people think that they need to carry guns to protect themselves. This whole idea of optics just shows how crazy it is in the city of Milwaukee and how over the bend some of these elected officials are. So there's this ongoing debate, are we going to pull contracts for this American sewer services? Well, all right, what they should do is all these contractors and companies bidding, if this is the concern included in your bids, you should demand that the city of Milwaukee and the taxpayers then provide security for your workers, particularly when you're in some of these areas where if you park your car on the street or you have tools in the back of your car, the chances are better than even that it's going to be gone. But again, that's what the aldermen are all concerned about now. It is just... It's just shameful, really, that you have people who are concerned about these optics without being concerned about the underlying problem, which is out-of-control crime. They don't want to talk about that. They just want to talk about the way it looks. And, again, this is what happens. You know, if the people in a community are willing to – 
I don't know, stomach and put up with politicians who are concerned about optics, not concerned about real results. This is the type of thing that you get. That's story number one. Story number two, uh, Journal Sentinel is reporting, and this is a good move. Um, Governor Walker announcing today that this juvenile prison, um, Lincoln Hills, which is north of Wausau, is going to be closed. Now, th- this is, of course, the the prison that's generated all the controversy. You have guards and teachers and employees there who have been attacked on a regular basis by the juveniles. Then you have reports of, gee, you've got lawsuits saying that the, the prison guards uh, allegedly have overreacted in response to these out-of-control juveniles. And then you've got some of the usual suspects who are saying, oh, this is terrible. We have the, these young children, and we're sending them out there, and, and look what's happening to them. And you've got a federal judge who's never spent, in my opinion, I doubt he spent any significant time dealing with juvenile criminals in his life, saying, oh, I, I, I just don't think the guard should be using pepper spray as much, and I don't think the guard should be using restraints, and we shouldn't be putting these people in solitary. Again, all mis- the point that the type of people who are going to juvenile prisons nowadays are in many cases, and I know some people cringe when I say this, they are hardcore criminals. This is not the days of Leave it to Beaver, where you've got Wally and Lumpy and Eddie Haskell who are out TPing houses. Not that Wally would have done that, but this is not the type of person that is going to a juvenile correction facility. The people who are going to Lincoln Hills are the worst of the worst. They are dangerous. Now, you hope that you can rehabilitate them, but the truth of the matter is it's really tough, especially out of Milwaukee. It's tough to get a judge to send some kid to Lincoln Hills. They're very dangerous. They're bad actors. And this idea that, oh, gee, the prison guards used restraints. Well, yeah, you got some of these kids that make a living out of beating up guards and attacking teachers and exposing themselves to the female um, guards and instructors out there. Yeah, yeah, you, you need to have disciplinary measures. But in any event, uh, Governor Walker has done what I, I think – I think was a smart thing. A number of years ago, we had a variety of youth prisons across the state. What they did is they closed the youth prisons and they started sending anybody, everybody up to Lincoln Hills. Uh, the governor announcing today that he, he wants to go the other way, wants to return to the system. His plan is to close Lincoln Hills. He's actually going to turn that into an adult facility. And then what they would do is instead of sending juveniles to Lincoln Hills, they would open five smaller teen prisons around the state. I think this is exactly the way to go. The plan, I think, is going to be three of those six prisons that they're planning on opening will be – they don't want to call them prisons. They want to call them, you know, juvenile correctional facilities. But they're, they're prisons. You're sending bad people there. But three of the six are going to be in southeastern Wisconsin. I think that that's a positive step for a number of reasons. First of all, to the extent that there is any potential for rehabilitation, uh, to the extent that any of these kids that get sent to these places have family members who care enough that they want to visit them, you know, it, it's easier to do it if the facility is in Milwaukee County or the facility facility is in Racine County than it is if you've got to travel north to Wausau. So I I think it makes sense to try to keep the offenders closer to home. I also think it makes sense because the, the reality is, whether it's been fair or unfair 
um, Lincoln Hills and that whole concept is, is just tainted. So the idea of smaller facilities closer to where the juvenile offenders are that they commit the crimes, I think that that's a positive thing. Hopefully what it will do is it will encourage more of the judges, particularly in Milwaukee County, who work in the juvenile court system, to be willing to do what they should be doing all along, which is to send these dangerous kids to facilities so that the public in general can be protected. So I think this is a very, very good step. There's a cost to it, but I think in general people are going to be willing to pay for this. Um, Democrats should like it because they're going to get a chance to say, I told you so, you shouldn't have closed these other facilities in 2011. I think Republicans who are concerned about the out-of-control crime problems going on with juveniles will see it as a positive. I think it's a positive and it's a good step. And now there's no excuse at all for judges in Milwaukee County, especially once the system is going, to not incarcerate these people who need to be incarcerated. This is a good step. There's other steps that need to be done. As I've been preaching for a while now, we need to revamp the juvenile justice system, starting with this notion that we do not publish the names of juveniles um, found delinquent. I think that that's absolutely crazy. If the kid next door to you um, has been involved in stealing 25 cars, I think the general public should know about that. Right now, even if juveniles are adjudged delinquent, their, their records are sealed. You don't know what they have done. This gives judges an easy way out of not holding juveniles accountable, and it endangers the general public. So we've got a long way to go when it comes to juvenile crime in this state, but I think closing Lincoln Hills to juveniles, turning it into an adult prison because we need more space for the adult criminals, and then opening up these regional prisons, to me it makes a lot of sense. It's worth the money. When we come back, three big things. Big story number one, this whole Slender Man flap. If you want to see the trailer to the movie, just text the word movie to 414-799-1620. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just one final note on what we were talking about earlier. I, it, you know, I, I was commenting about how ridiculous it is for this Milwaukee alderman to be worried about the optics. Oh, gee, it, it looks bad. The Red Cross doesn't want to send volunteers into high-crime areas because they can't get volunteers who are willing to go out and risk their lives. Well, let's denounce the Red Cross. Oh, gee, you know, let's go after this contractor because they had a couple of their employees show up on the job site with guns. Well, instead of dealing with the, why is it that maybe the volunteers don't want to go into the high-crime areas? Why is it that the contractors are concerned about this? Because we don't want to deal with the safety issues. All right, here's just the text I got. I'm a security contractor. I got a call this morning from one of my electricians they were at a residence on the milwaukee's east side a very nice neighborhood two of the customers vehicles were stolen right out of the driveway while there were several other contractors around vehicles were running in the driveway warming up this whole optics thing about carrying weapons is ridiculous this is the real the real problem is you are in the city of milwaukee yeah imagine that you got contractors you've got believe me i've been going through this you got contractors all over and and it doesn't matter people all over there are so many thieves that are operating in the city of milwaukee they don't care they know they can get away with it they steal anything that they see remember new year's day 
couple days ago. You get the family, the couple that gets married at uh, Lakefront Brewery. They stay overnight at the brew house, the hotels up by Pabst. They are loading their car up with wedding presents the following morning, New Year's Day morning. So they've got presents in the lobby of the hotel. They're carrying them out to their car. There's people around. The car is gone gone in just a couple seconds. That is Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. That is Ashanti Hamilton's Milwaukee. And they're worried about optics. Give me a break. All right. Big story number one. Slender Man movie is coming out. Like I say, if you want to see the trailer, it's two minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, I'll send you a link to it if you send me the word movie. 414-799-1620. Here, here's the deal. Slender Man, just by, by way of background, it's an online creation that goes back to 2009. Slender Man is a mysterious, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, specter photo, mysterious specter, photo edited into everyday images of children at play. Slender Man is typically depicted as a slim, spidery figure in a black suit with a featureless white face that preys on children. He's grown into a popular bogeyman as it appeared in video games and online stories. Okay, so it goes back to 2009. Sony is coming out with a movie entitled Slender Man. Now, the reason, of course, we pay a lot of attention to Slender Man, as you had the situation in 2014 where the two Waukesha children, um, Anissa Weir and Morgan Geyser, lured one of their uh, classmates into a wooded park in Waukesha. There, Geyser stabbed the girl 19 times, narrowly missing her heart, while Weir urged her on. The girl survived this um, through the grace of God, crawled to a path uh, where a passing bicyclist found her. Um, Weir and Geyser told detectives that they uh, had tried to kill her to prove to Slender Man that they were worthy of being his servants, as well as to protect their families from him. All three girls were 12 years old at the time. Uh, Geyser, now 15, pleaded guilty to attempted first-degree intentional homicide in a deal with prosecutors. Um, she was sentenced in February to 25 years in a mental institution last month. Um, the other gal um, got a lesser, again, you know, went to trial, was found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, um, and got a lesser commitment. But, you know, this this was, of course, a, a big deal. Slender Man has been cited as a factory in other crimes. Days after the Wisconsin stabbing, 13-year-old girl in Ohio attacked her mother with a knife. Um, the mother told TV that she thought the girl was obsessed with Slender Man. In September of the same year, a 14-year-old girl in Florida set her house on fire. Um, she apparently had read an e-book called Soul Eater and reading about Slender Man. Now, the father of Anissa Weir, one of the girls who was involved in the attack, um, he tells the Associated Press that he, he's just he's hoping that theaters won't show the movie when it's released in May. Here's what he says. It's absurd that they want to make a movie like this. It's popularizing a tragedy is what it's doing. I'm not surprised, but in my opinion, it's extremely distasteful. All we're doing is extending the pain all through three of these families have gone through. Now, the trailer that, again, was released yesterday that I'll, I'll send you if you send me the word movie. Um, it's unclear you know, whether the movie contains direct elements from the Wisconsin case, but in one scene, 
that you see in the trailer. The, there's a wall covered with drawings of Slender Man that resemble the sketches that Geyser drew. Other scenes show Slender Man stalking a girl in the woods and a girl stabbing herself in the hand with a scalpel in school, showering a classmate with blood. So there are certainly at least links, even if it's not directly based on this, there, there are elements, it appears, out of what happened in Waukesha that they are taking and incorporating into the movie. The dad of one of the perpetrators, and look, this is hard on, on everybody. It's, it's, you know, the victim, um, you know, her life has changed forever. But also the, the, the parents, the family of the girls that got obsessed with this, I mean, their life has been changed as well. So the dad of one of those perpetrators is saying, I think this is incredibly distasteful. I hope Wisconsin theaters don't show this. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not suggesting that Sony, I guess, doesn't have a right to produce a picture like this. It's a free country. You know, they do. But I agree with the dad. This is extremely distasteful, and I think every movie theater in Wisconsin, at least, should exercise its discretion and say, we're not carrying a movie that glorifies this type of thing. 414-799-1620. Should the movie theaters, and again, I'm not saying you can't produce the movie, but I think people should not go to see this movie, and I think the movie theaters in Wisconsin would be doing the general public a great service if they simply said, we're not going to carry this piece of you-know-what. We are back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1229. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Greg and Waukesha. Greg, good afternoon. Hi, uh, Jeff. I'm a um, character development educator, and I work with middle school uh, students through college students. And I just um, want to ask, why do we need to add more fuel to the fire of this Slender Man thing? I, I just think this, this gives kids who already might have ideas in their minds, you know, just just mm-hmm. more fuel to their fire to, to have, uh, you know, I, ideas. And it it develops triggering behaviors in, in, in kids. And I know that's, that's not something that people want to think about, but I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm totally in objection to theaters showing this movie because I, I don't think it's, it's good for, I don't see the benefit here to, to anyone. Now, let me ask you this though, Greg. I mean, would you, would you extend that to, for example, other sorts of horror movies? This, this actually, to me, if I, again, I, I'm not a big horror movie fan. I look at the trailer, and putting aside the Slender Man thing, it looks like a lot of the trailers you see to a lot of the horror movies they're making nowadays. Could you argue that any of those any of those movie trailers could be triggering things like you talk about? Should we be making horror movies at all? Well, I, I, I guess but the Slender Man thing is on people's minds right yeah. now, you know, and it's, it's, you know, creepypasta is still out there. Thunder Man is, is still out there. You can still find it on the, right. on the web and, and it just, I don't know. It just well, no, no, I understand. Well, the other thing is, it's not just that, but this is, I think it is very clear from the trailer that this movie is exploitive in that it, it takes 
it takes at least references to some of the things that happened in real life and, and uses those. Again, the, the drawings that look like the drawings that one of these kids made, the, the blood splatters, the stabbings and things like that. Clearly, there are parallels between real life that this movie is trying to exploit. And and I think just in the name of the victims and things like that, it's just it, it's in bad taste, if nothing else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, no, thanks Thank for calling. No, and I, and I, and I appreciate the triggering stuff. I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not a book banner and, you know, candidly, I mean, if I, if I were a parent, there's no way that I would allow my 12 or 13 year old child to go see a movie like this, period. But, but what distinguishes this from, say, the, the run of the mill slasher slash psychological horror type of movie is the fact that this, this, I, I think exploits a real life tragedy. And, and yes, to, to answer your question, I think, you know, there have been movies that have been made about Jeffrey Dahmer and things like that. Th- those type of things, yeah, I think they are exploitive of the victims as well. And, and yeah, I, I wouldn't go see those. And I think that, you know, if those type of movies were coming out, it would be perfectly fine for movie theaters to say, we're going to take a stand on some of these issues. I'm not saying the movie shouldn't be made. I mean, you have a First Amendment right to do it. But at the same time, theaters have a First Amendment right to say, you know what, we think that under the circumstances, particularly given, you know, what's happened in our community, that, you know, we don't want to give, we don't want to give added added attention to this issue, and we don't want to allow the filmmakers to make money exploiting what is a very real-life tragedy. Tom in Sheboygan. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, okay. So should we put airbags on the tips of needles? Just saying. It's, I don't it understand. Doesn't make, it doesn't make much sense to me for us to try to regulate or stop the showing of this movie that any movie that's out there or anything that's going on, video games that our kids are playing these days, first-person shooters, all of this type of stuff, we could try to correlate that to the movie was going to be made already. Before these girls did this, this was going to happen. Um, and if you want to try to split hairs and say that, and I, and, I, and I agree with you on most topics, Jeff, but on this one I have to disagree that we can't, there's movies that we all enjoy for different reasons, what have you, but these girls are not what made this movie, and now you or your, your choice of topic of conversation has pointed this towards those girls in this movie. If, if well, no, it's, it's actually, it's no. the father, it's actually, this, this starts, it's the father of one of the perpetrators who is outraged that this, who thinks this movie is exploiting this entire situation, thinks this is very, very disrespectful to the families and is prolonging this tragedy. So, I mean, that's where the story initially comes from. The father is upset with this. It's easy for the father to take that stance. For the rest of the world, they may not share that opinion. Well, okay, but I guess the question, and, and I understand, but at the same time, and that's why I'm not saying the movie shouldn't have been made, but at the same time, shouldn't is there anything wrong with, say, an individual business like a movie theater saying, you know what, there's all sorts of movies that are out there. We think this one is exploitive. We think it is bad in bad taste, and we're not going to show it. I mean, do movie theaters have to show any type of movie that comes out, even if it is in bad taste and hurtful and exploitive. Yep, yep. I no, I agree with I agree with the the movie theater should have the option or the opinion to do that. But by us being on the radio and talking about it and having a one sided conversation, and it truly is strongly one sided, 
then that kind of puts a pressure. It's kind of like having that billboard out there on the bridges when people are driving by. You can't stop the person from waving that sign with their, and that's what we're doing right now on the radio. We're waving that sign and we're saying, hey, we're not going to accept this. So then we're kind of mm-hmm. making that theater choose, well, uh, hey, do we want to go with against what they're talking about on the radio? Yeah. So many people are strongly opinionated about it. When really, this morning when most people woke up, they didn't even have an opinion about it. Well, no, but I I, I, under, I understand. But if 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 your point, Tom, is that in this little corner of the world that I have, from noon to three on this radio station, that I have the ability to, by engaging the general public, to have a conversation and to perhaps make people including businesses, think about whether they're doing the right thing or not. Well, thanks. I, I will. That is what I do in my own little corner of the world. I think this is distasteful. I think it is hurtful to the victims' families. And I think movie theaters like the Marcus Movie Theater, for example, that has lots of theaters across Wisconsin, they have a universe of choices of movies they can show. They make decisions all the time on what is appropriate and what isn't. I think in this particular circumstance, it would be, I think that the, and again, in this case, one of the families, the father of one of the families, which is where the story comes from, I think he's absolutely right talking about how it is distasteful, it extends the pain of all the families have gone through, and I, I think he's right. And I think I'm right in suggesting that, you know, maybe, you know, the Slender Man movie, if it comes out and people really, really, really want to see it, that's fine. I'm sure they can find a way to do it. But I think it would be wonderful if various movie theaters just simply made the decision to just say no. Just like there's all sorts of movies that are made that are incredibly bad taste and theaters make the decision on a regular basis to say, no, we don't think that this is appropriate. I think this is that type of movie. Just saying. 1245, Jeff Wagner. When we come back, big story number two. Who's the biggest loser, President Trump or Steve Bannon? This is a fascinating story. Stick around. It's 1248, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coordinator changes, a new general manager, some disgruntled players in Green Bay. Is it chaos or simply a much-needed shakeup? Could actually be both. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio debate tonight during Miller Lite's Packers Playbook. They're doing it live from the Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino. It starts at 6 o'clock. All right. Uh, yesterday, the the story, as I was eh, on, during the show that, that broke, was that there's this new book that's coming out um, next Tuesday that um, it's called, what, it's called Fire and Fury by a guy named Michael Wolf, who's, you know, done opinion pieces for various newspapers and things of the like. Um, and it's a look at the Trump administration um, f- during the campaign and then the, the first eight or ten months of the administration. Now, here's what starts off. This may say at the beginning, what is bizarre about this, I, I do not understand how the president and the president's people could have allowed this to happen. That This... Uh, Apparently what happened is that this guy, this reporter, was given unfettered access to the West Wing. He, they let him 
just go over and walk in and, and sit in the waiting room of the West Wing. And he'd go over there like on a weekly basis and he'd just interview people as they were walking around and coming out. Now, I, I it's just it's almost bizarre to me. And, and the story he tells is that really nobody was running the ship and nobody knew whether the president wanted him there or not. And nobody asked the president. So you've got this guy who's just sitting there like grabbing people as they're going in and out of the Oval Office and things like that, you know, and, and getting all the, these these interviews um i don't know grew who's producing the show today i don't know if i were the president and i was walking around the office and i saw some reporter on a regular basis kind of like sitting in the waiting room i would i think i would ask what is he doing here what why is this guy here what's going on but apparently that didn't happen so he conducts all these different interviews and one of the people he talks to and and it's Surprise follows surprise. It's an unflattering portrait of President Trump. Um, but one of the people he talks to is th- this loose cannon, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is, of course, the guy who took over at Breitbart and kind of turned it from a conservative news source into what I would describe as kind of this alt-right, um, real heavy duty, sort of we're going into conspiracy theories type of things after Andrew Breitbart died. Bannon, of course, is this flamethrower who is intent on creating a civil war within the Republican Party. He's the guy who went down and put all these resources um, into trying to get Roy Moore elected and ended up costing the Republicans the Senate seat in Alabama. I mean, Steve Bannon is this loose cannon. And the problem with loose cannons is that they roll around the deck. And you never know when they're going to go off. And sometimes when they go off, like I say, they shoot their cannonball in the right direction and they end up hitting the opposition. Other times, hey, they go off and they just end up smashing a hole in the deck and sinking your ship. Steve Bannon is a complete and total loose cannon. Anybody who's ever dealt with him knows that. And Donald Trump embraced him during the campaign. And then he hired him as a chief strategist and then ultimately ended up firing him. Anyhow, Bannon gives extensive interviews for th- this book. Um, he he talks, for example, and there's all the different stories, he talks about how Donald Trump Jr. had been treasonous in meeting with the Russians, talks about how Ivanka Trump is dumb as a brick, um, you know, goes on to criticize President Trump in various ways, and, and pretty much burns any bridge that there is to be burned, but a very, very unflattering portrait, at least in his, you know, comments. President Trump, of course, responds, issues a statement. Steve Bannon had nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Steve was a staffer who worked for me after I had already won the nomination by defeating 17 candidates, often described as the most talented field ever assembled in the Republican Party. Now that he's on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as I make it look. Steve had very little to do with our historic victory, which was delivered by the forgotten men and women of this country. Yet Steve had everything to do with the loss of a Senate seat in Alabama held for more than 30 years by Republicans. Steve doesn't represent my base. He's only in it for himself. And of course, um, you know, this then President Trump goes on and on. But this is a pretty the, the, the comments, very, very harsh, especially coming from a prominent insider closely aligned, at least for a time, with the Trump administration. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number two. 
How much will this damage President Trump? The fact that you have somebody who, at least at one point in time, extremely close to the president, somebody who has been trying to reshape the Republican Party, who's been going around the country trying to be kingmaker in, you know, identifying candidates, candidates who candidly tend to be on the fringe of the conservative movement, on the fringe of the Republican Party, but trying to anoint them, who is now broken about as bad as you possibly can on the president, on the president's family, talking about how Donald Trump Jr. is going to be cracked like an egg, you know, once he has to get on television and explain his dealings with the Russians. How badly will this hurt President Trump, if at all? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1254. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Lucy in West Milwaukee. Lucy, good afternoon. Hi, it's the west side of Milwaukee. But anyway, um, I'm going to really surprise you because you may know this. I detest Donald Trump, and I'm sorry he was elected president. However, that doesn't mean he deserves um, a book that lies. If, in fact, Matthew Wolf is lying about his quotations and he has a long history um, when he's profiled other people of making up quotes. And I read that in the New York Times, of all places. He is the New York Times or the Washington Post, sort of taking my attitude of, you may not like Trump, but watch it before you embrace Matthew Wolf, because he's not a reliable journalist. Which makes it, to me, all the more bizarre, Lucy, that the Trump administration and the Trump would give him the access they apparently gave him. Yeah, um, well... I think they're kind of clueless. I don't think they expected to win. I think they're arrogant. I think they didn't know what they were doing. Um, but I have a question for you. Isn't Bannon coming out with his own book? Uh, ben, yes, I, yes. Bannon is coming out with his own book, and there was another one written. I guess I just, I, I, I don't, and I, I have not heard Bannon say that these quote that he didn't say the things he said. Have you said something? Is he backing off the stuff or no? No, I think he's I think he's keeping his powder dry. Yeah. Um, I, you haven't heard the last word yet. I just wanted to say before because I I gleefully would <laughs> would read anything bad about Donald Trump. Like I said, I detest him, but. I think truth is important, and I think that these things have a blowback effect. If Matthew Wolf is shown to be an uncredible person, then nobody's going to believe a credible person when they tell the truth. Um, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate that. I, I guess, see, one of the things, I, other than denials from the white, and again, a, a lot of this stuff is 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 opinion. I mean, it's not, I, I guess, you know, Bannon's take on the, the Donald Trump Jr. Russia meeting and things like that. I mean, that's that's something for investigators to find. And I continue to believe that there's not, from a criminal perspective, going to be any there there. Clearly, this is something that is embarrassing to the president. My bigger I, – I think everybody loses here. Steve Bannon, I, I think, has now, to the extent anybody took him seriously, they took him seriously because he was viewed as a confidant of Donald Trump. Steve Bannon has been, to guys like me, just absolutely the last thing that the Republican Party wants because – or needs because again he's been out there courting these type of fringe candidates the Roy Moores of the world as opposed to candidates who have solid conservative credentials but could win so I think Steve Bannon by making this type of break with the Trump administration has pretty much well he's pretty much guaranteed that now he becomes a footnote in history 
110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, one final thought about our big story number two, the whole Steve Bannon, Donald Trump flap. Uh, the attorneys for the president are apparently sending demand letters demanding that the publisher halt release of the book that led to the ban and fallout. Four words. Good luck with that. Um, not, that's not, that's not, not my guess is that it's not going to happen. And my, my guess is that this will be the leading book on the New York Times bestseller list uh, by the after it hits the market. What next Tuesday or next Wednesday? Um, the, the idea that you can threaten a publisher. Oh, stop this. Well, what you can do is if they publish the book and you feel that you've been defamed or libeled or whatever. You can file suit and try to get damages. But the idea that you're going to be able to stop publication of this, I don't think that that is going to happen. All right, big story number three. I think Democrats in Wisconsin are about to make one of the biggest political miscalculations ever. There, there's the, the congressman from Madison, this guy named Mark Pocan, he replaced liberal Tammy Baldwin when she went on to win the U.S. Senate seat six years ago, a Senate seat that's going to be up for election this November. So so Pocan replaced her. And, of course, he, he represents the Madison area, so he is um, consistent, I think, probably with, I don't know, the people he supports. He's probably one of the most liberal congressmen in the, the country. Um, so some of the things he says... He says because he has to say, not necessarily because he believes him. But he's out um, with a very interesting statement. He is predicting, he is predicting that Foxconn, of course, Foxconn, they're going to be breaking ground on it shortly. Foxconn, the big facility that, if all goes as expected, will be directly providing you know, thousands and thousands of jobs for southeastern Wisconsin in particular and Wisconsin in general. Then you're going to have all the indirect jobs that are going to spring up. You know, Foxconn really making Wisconsin a, a kind of a technology hub. Um, Pocan predicting that the Foxconn deal, including the incentive package, is going to be an albatross for Republicans this fall. One that will cost Governor Walker his job. He is apparently, this is Pocan, encouraging other Democrats to run on the Foxconn issue. His comments, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, are the latest sign that Democrats plan to campaign heavily against Foxconn in the fall. The argument is that, well, you know, when Governor Walker was talking about his reelection, he didn't mention Foxconn. I asked the governor, of course, about that. And the governor said, we talked about all sorts of stuff. And, yeah, you know, we're going to be telling the Foxconn story. But Pocan and others appear to believe that they think that this is a winner. They think that the general public is going to be appalled over the fact that you have Republicans who have supported this deal to bring this huge manufacturing industry into Wisconsin. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number three. I, I think if if they are serious about this, 
if the Democrats and you can never tell sometimes you can it's sometimes again like I say it's it, it's it's what you have to you have to say certain things it's kind of like what defense attorneys have to do sometimes you know if your client you got to say stuff even if you know the person is guilty as you know what and you know you're going to sound silly saying it but if Democrats are serious that they think Foxconn and opposition to Foxconn is going to be a winning political issue across the state. I think this is one of the worst political miscalculations ever. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have been talking for years and years in this state about the need to move the state into the 21st century, the need to provide good paying jobs for people in Wisconsin, the need to do something that creates, that makes us a magnet for bringing the best and the brightest to this state instead of losing people because, hey, they want to go where it's warm, they want to go where there's more technology, they want to go where things are more exciting, whatever. I I think Foxconn is, and I've used the phrase game changer, other people have used that as well. I, I think it is going to be a game changer, and I think outside, again, some of the, the lefty, bar slash think tanks out in Dane County, I think most people want to see Foxconn succeed. And number two, are excited that Foxconn may be bringing jobs to Wisconsin. 414-799-1620. Is Foxconn going to lead to the demise of Governor Walker next November? I have to tell you, I think that is one of the dumbest comments I have heard in a long time. Foxconn, I think candidly, guarantees that Governor Walker wins probably by a larger margin than he's won in his previous elections. 414-799-1620. Is Foxconn going to hurt him with the voters? I think not. We discuss next. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, if if the worst case happens, and, and I, I said this when, when President Obama was president, I never want to be in a position of, of wanting to bet against the country, the success of the country, the success of the state. That's why it is so disappointing to me that you have so many people, starting with this backbencher lefty uh, congressman out of Madison, Mark Pocan, who, who want to see Foxconn fail. They hate Walker so much that they want to see that this fail. And that's what they're hoping for. Oh, gosh, we, we want this to blow up. We don't want it to work. And what a depressing place to be where you're, you know, you're wishing, again, against the success of your own state. All right, four years from now or five years from now, if, and I don't think this is going to happen, if the Foxconn deal goes to you know where, it, it blows up, you know, there's not enough jobs, there's not as many jobs that were promised, all this money gets paid out and there's no return. Well, okay, at that point in time, may, maybe there's going to be electoral backlash. So that's the long-term risk. I don't think that's going to happen. But right now, before you even have, you know, shovels really in the ground, before, you know, any major hiring has gone on, to say that, gee, in November of 2018, voters are going to react with disdain and rise up and toss Scott Walker out because of Foxconn, that's either wishful thinking if you're an anti-Walker person or just absolute derangement. Let's start with Roger in Waukesha. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I just have to tell you that I thought that when that deal was signed, that that was guaranteed that Scott Walker was going to be reelected because of all the pauses that will come. Yeah. Look at real estate. 
look at the potential. When those people with those higher-paying jobs start locating in southeastern Wisconsin, they've got money to spend. They're yep. going to spend it on our economy. They're going to be buying all kinds of consumer goods. There's industry. More importantly, industry is going to be supplying that. I'm in business. I understand how it works. What's good for business is good for Wisconsin. Right. Now, it's it's possible, Roger, like I said a minute ago, though, I, I think you're exactly right. It is possible you and I will be wrong, I guess. I mean, it's possible that this whole Foxconn thing could just circle the drain. It can fail. I don't think it's going to happen. You don't think it's going to happen. But but it's not going to happen for for a while. And it's certainly not going to happen before November. And this idea that everybody's going to have this doom and gloom, I just don't think that's the case. I think most people are optimistic. They think it's going to work. And more importantly, we all hope it works. Liberals do have a penchant for shooting themselves in the foot, don't they? And uh, this is another one of those examples that will come to pass. It, so I can hardly wait to see them implode on this. It, right. Well, exactly. No, I mean, if you want to run... If you want to run against Foxconn, be, be my guest, that's the recipe for losing. I don't know that it's possible for Democrats to lose any more seats in the state Senate and Assembly than they've already lost. But if that's going to be the issue, gee, we've got this incentive package that is bringing this huge company to Wisconsin that is going to at least potentially provide all these jobs and all this spinoff and all this stuff and make us a technology leader. If that's really the campaign you want to have, to which I would say go with God. I mean, I, I would anybody that comes up with that strategy, you would almost think that they were on the payroll of the state Republican Party. Let's talk to Phil in Stevens Point. Phil, good afternoon. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good thing for the whole state. I'm from Stevens Point. I could foresee this retooling our trade schools and colleges and everything, too. So when kids graduate, they actually get their five- and six-figure income jobs instead of having to go to Minneapolis and Chicago. And I think it's going to be a big boon, not only to Wisconsin, but northern Illinois and probably the Midwest in general. Okay, so one of the things this congressman is saying, he's saying, okay, it might be popular in southeastern Wisconsin because that's where the, the, the jobs are. But once you get out state, once you get to places like Stevens Point, people aren't going to care about this. It's not going to matter. And what you're well, saying is nuts to that. It, if, it's good for, if it's good for southeast Wisconsin, it's also going to be good for Stevens Point. Exactly. I beckon to differ because it's going to have spinoffs up here in Stevens Point or pack up Marshfield, like the Marshfield Medical Center. They'll probably be making different LCD screens. Right now, they're putting a $78 million bioscience building at UWSP. I think that's going to have uh, good, serious repercussions to the plus side of everything. Yeah, I, I mean, right. Thanks for the call. It, there is no way, unless this circles the, gra- the drain and fails. There is no way that this can be bad for the state of Wisconsin. And one of the things that's been so frustrating to me is, I mean, I've been listening to this debate for years and years and years. We need good-paying jobs. If Jim Doyle was the governor and he proposed the same deal, you know that the Mark Pocans of the world, the backbencher lefties, they would be applauding this. Oh, this is revolutionary. You've turned us into this technology center. But because it's coming from Scott Walker and because it passes with overwhelming Republican support, well, then it's a bad thing. This is just too much corporate welfare. Well, all right, maybe five, maybe six, maybe ten years from now, all the people that are wishing against this to succeed, that are hoping that this fails, all right, maybe maybe it's possible that this will fail and that you will be rewarded for your negative thoughts. But that's not going on right now. Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. That's Thanks him. for having me on. Sure. Well, you know, they've never gotten over the fact that Act 10 
made it past the finish line. Yep. And remember that Act 10 was going to destroy Wisconsin. Public education would crater. Government services would end. And and what's essentially happened with Act 10? Well, pretty much same old, same old, except we've saved all sorts of money. Absolutely. And John Chisholm never got Scott Walker behind bars, right? Right. Oh, yeah, right. The John Doe thing. Yeah, Scott Walker's going to be locked up. Yeah, right. Here's one more for you, Jeff. The gambling packs that Jim Doyle signed, where was the outrage with that? Right. Yeah, right. And, and mean, these it, people are just beyond delusional at this point, but I'm loving it. I just, just keep doing it. I I like it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, And that's why I'm kind of looking at this as a strategy. I mean, seriously, it, it appears that the Democrats in the state of Wisconsin have decided that as a strategy, they are going to run against Foxconn. Okay, really? You're going to run against this job-creating thing? Um, and again, maybe it'll fail. So maybe five, ten years from now, if it turns out to be a huge failure, okay, that's when you run against it. But right now, when people are optimistic, I'm telling you, you go down this route. It is a route. It is just it is just electoral disaster. And I actually agree with our first caller. I think when this was first proposed, when this was all put together, once this deal happened, I think it guaranteed the re-election of Scott Walker probably by a larger margin than he has ever won before. And I understand there's some people who are frustrated with that. There are some people who would rather see this state crater than Scott Walker get reelected. But you know what? I think for most people, we want to be hopeful. We want to be optimistic. We want to applaud the things that are happening. And Foxconn is one of those good things that are happening. So take that, Mark Pocan, head on back to Washington, climb up onto the back bench, and um, see you later. All right, a lot of stuff coming up on today's program. Panero's. Panera's pay as you what you can afford community cafe fails who knew stick around it's 135 Jeff Wagner WTMJ well it seems to me that I understand people are fascinated with politics but the other thing that everybody is discussing grew you know it it's the Packers everybody has an opinion apparently the Packers are interviewing some of their in-house candidates for um, the general manager position. And um, I think a lot of the smart money says it's going to go to one of one of the people that they have in there right now. What this means as to whether the other qualified candidates are, uh, who are in-house are going to then leave, you know, who knows. But that will all play out. At the same time, there has been, you know, there's a coaching shakeup. Uh, Dom Capers, the defensive coordinator, was let go. A number of other of the defensive coaches were let go. Edgar Bennett, who was the offensive coordinator, is either being let go or being reassigned. The quarterback's coach is gone. So, I mean, McCarthy, and that's, this is his call. It's, you know, the general manager ultimately gets the call and the coach, but Mike McCarthy gets to decide his coaching staff. And what's happening now is there's lots of interviews that are going on because the, the best coaches that are on the market get snapped up pretty quickly. So you, you don't want to wait and wait and wait if you want to go and you want to find a top-notch coach. One of the reports out of Green Bay today is that not for general manager, we talked about general manager yesterday, but for like defensive coordinator, they are interviewing a couple people who are on the staff and have been on the staff for a number of years considering whether they should promote them. 
Same conversation is going on about, you know, the offense. Some people leaving, some people staying. But the question is, do you go outside or stay in-house? Now, I've said this before. For the general manager position, where I think continuity is important and where, at least from the outside perspective, it appears that they've got some quality people waiting in the wings to replace Ted Thompson, I think it would be insane for them to go outside the organization. That being said, when it comes to the coaching staff, replacing Dom Capers, the defensive coordinator who's been there forever, replacing um, you know the replacing Edgar Bennett, the offensive coordinator who's been you know part of the Packers forever, I think it would be equally crazy to stay inside the organization. Now, this is to say nothing about the quality of some of the people who might be coaches, but especially on defense. I mean, the defense has been a disaster for a number of years. And at least from the perspective, and Mike McCarthy's closer to this, but at least from the perspective of this Packers fan, I think it would be a huge disappointment if they didn't look at bringing in people from the outside. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people who've had experience successfully running defenses before. Maybe people, you know, on the offensive side who've been head coaches who've run offenses before. But I think it will be a huge disappointment to a lot of us fans if they end up staying in-house. I think the Packers need to make some changes if they're going to get back to the Super Bowl and simply elevating somebody who was part of a failed defense for a number of years, for example, I don't think that's going to satisfy the fan base. One segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If Mike McCarthy stays in-house for his offensive or, in particular, defensive coordinators, are you going to be disappointed? I think I will, and I think most people will. 414-799-1620, and yet today he's interviewing people on his staff. Now, I understand you have to do that, but at the same time, given people that are out there that have succeeded and have track records of success at this level, I think given where the Packers are at this time in their history, to not reach out and bring people who have succeeded on other teams in Get a fresh look at this, I think would be a huge mistake. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on one segment. You know, should the Packers be looking outside for coaches? Not for general managers, but for coaches. 140, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The two teams squared off in an overtime thriller on New Year's Day. That was a great game. And now the rematch comes tomorrow night at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. It's round two of the Bucks and the Toronto Rapsters, Raptors. Our Buckshot coverage will begin at 6.40 tomorrow. Tune in here on WTMJ. That was a great game. Uh, the guy from the Raptors scores, what does he score? Ends up scoring like 52 points or something like that. Speaking of 52 points, uh, my Marquette Warriors yesterday, you had Marcus Howard, who's a real player, sophomore, um, scores 52 points. That's a school record. Quite uh, quite the thing. Good game for Marquette. All right, let's see. Promote Russ Ball to general manager and go get Vic Fangio for the defensive coordinator. He's the guy uh, who's with Chicago, interviewed for Chicago's head coaching position. Um, if he doesn't get that job, um, he's going to be in demand. I would say that that would be an outstanding choice. Kind of back up the Brinks truck and then, you know, try to do whatever you need to do to kind of get him in there. I think he would be outstanding. But the point is, I, 
for, for me and the Packers, there's been a lot of wasted opportunities. You have a guy like Aaron Rodgers who is maybe, and I've said this before, I, I think you could make an argument that he's the best player in the NFL now. You can make an argument that he's one of, if not the very best quarterback ever. Now, I, I, people would say, well, some people have won more Super Bowls. Yeah, they, they have. And, and that's where... You know, you've had the missed opportunities. You know, when you've had a player as good as Rodgers, I think it's been very apparent for the last couple of years that he's been surrounded by players who just aren't aren't good enough. And, you know, he's put that team on his back year after year, and he's got a window of opportunity, three, four more years. You know, maybe he plays five or six, who, who knows? But the truth is that window is going to be closing because once you get into your mid-30s, Tom Brady notwithstanding, you know, typically there's going to be a drop-off at some point in time. You haven't seen that yet, but there is. So th- th- this is not a situation where the Packers, I think, you know, can say, okay, let, let's let's go out and let's find some young hotshot defensive coordinator in college and let's bring him in and let's give him three years to put his system in. That that's not where you're at right now. And this is what if I was if I was Mark Murphy interviewing people for general manager, or I was Mark McCarthy interviewing people for these offensive or defensive coordinator things, I would be saying, all right, look. What are we going to do? Give me your strategy. Give me your plan. How are we going to be back to the Super Bowl next year and the year after and the year after that? Because once Aaron Rodgers walks out the door, you know, and you, you, you can see what's going to happen. If you've got the Brent Huntleys of the world coming in, you know, you're going to be talking about, well, I don't know. You're going to be talking about a 500 team struggling to try to make the playoffs. So you've got this window of opportunity. It's open for a limited time. You've got to try to figure out how to win and win now. And that's why I think you go with experienced people who have proven that they could do this. And then you, you end up bringing them in and you end up working around them. This is not a situation like the Cleveland Browns where you're in a complete and total rebuild, where the team is 0-16, where they've only got a handful of players that are decent, and where they have no hope for the next several years. That's not what the Packers are. You know, hopefully, you know, with Aaron Rodgers help healthy, with players who can play and understand the scheme and are going to be held accountable if they screw up, hopefully, you know, you you can return. Maybe it's not going to be a top five defense next year, but certainly maybe in the top ten or something like that. And I think that's why you need to go with experienced people and simply tagging somebody who's been part of a failing defense for years um, and saying, okay, we're going to elevate you. That's the last thing the Packers need right now. Now, from an ego perspective, all right, you know, Mike McCarthy's running the show. There's always this risk if you go out and you bring somebody in who succeeded in the past. Um, uh, you know, our head's going to clash. Well, okay, you know, that that's a possibility. Bottom line is the time is now for the Packers, and they need to stop fooling around. All right, when we come back, they're chasing more bad guys in the North Shore, and some people aren't happy. Stick around. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, while I was on vacation, uh, Ed Flynn, Milwaukee Police Chief, had a news conference, and he announced that following the increase in traffic enforcement, what they found is that there has been a, a decrease in crime in the city of Milwaukee. And when I saw this story, even though I was on vacation, I sent out a tweet which essentially said, 
no kidding, although I was thinking about a different word to put with no, but no, no kidding. Gee, the idea that we're going to, we're going to follow people who commit traffic offenses. When we see people driving 90 miles an hour who blow through red lights, we're going to follow them and catch them. Gee, that's led to a decrease in crime. No kidding, which is a point that a number of us have been trying to make for years and years, and the police chief stubbornly refused to you know, go along with a modifying his silly chase policy or his no-chase policy until finally he was pressured into doing it by members of the Common Council and by the public at large um, who were just frustrated with this notion that essentially you could drive 90 miles an hour, blow through a red light, make an obscene gesture at a police officer, and they wouldn't follow you because if you didn't pull over, they knew they wouldn't be allowed to chase you. The police chief has, under pressure, changed that policy, and it appears to be, at least in the short run, decreasing crime, which makes perfect sense to me because these people that are driving 90 miles an hour and blowing through the red light, most likely in a stolen car, when they get away, it's not like they're not going to do it again. So this just makes sense. And it's long, long, long overdue. And it's unfortunate that it took the mayor and the police chief um, six, seven years to get around to changing the policy. But but they have. Well, the problem with people running is not unique to the city of Milwaukee. The local newspaper had a really interesting story yesterday about how the number of police pursuits is up dramatically in Milwaukee suburbs, particularly in the North Shore. Let me read you a portion of the story that they that they put in the paper. While stopped at a red light at Port Washington and Hampton Roads on October 6th, I know that intersection well, a Glendale police officer saw an Acura drive around him, run a red light, and speed south down Port Washington Road. Okay, so first of all, imagine the brazenness of this. There's a squad car that's on the street, stopped at the red light. This car pulls past the squad car, speeds up, blows through the red light. The Glendale squad, joined by others, pursued. It was just one in more than what has become an increasingly common occurrence. Glendale and other North Shore Police Departments have seen a drastic increase in fleeing vehicles over the last years, four years, and this year's statistics are higher than ever before. Glendale's pursuit numbers have spiked into triple digits. This is just Glendale pursuing 106 fleeing suspects as of November 1st after chasing only eight vehicles in 2013. The pursuit vehicles jumped to 19 in 2014, um, 50 in 2015, 85 in 2016, and like I say, 2017, it was over 106 as of November 1st. The Glendale Police Department, they say the increase in pursuits corresponds with a large increase in juvenile offenders driving stolen cars. He said the minors driving in stolen cars are not joyriding, but are using the cars to deal drugs, rob people, and burglarize homes. All they are interested in is getting away, and they don't care at what cost. They are a menace to the public. Unlike some departments that only pursue in the event of a violent felony, Glendale's pursuit policy states a pursuit can be initiated when the necessity of immediate apprehension outweighs the level of danger created by the pursuit. So none of this deciding, gee, what crime might the person have committed just simply is the nature of the apprehension. Catching somebody that's driven past a squad car, blown through a red light at a high rate of speed and trying to get away, 
does the necessity to catch them outweigh the danger of the pursuit? And then it goes on to say that Glendale's pursuit policy allows more pursuits than has been in the Milwaukee, which for the last seven years chased vehicles only if the officers had probable cause to think that the occupants of the vehicle were involved in a violent felony. Bottom line of this is Glendale and some of the other North Shore suburbs are saying, if you're going to come here and you're going to run from the cops, we're going to go after you unless we're going to put the public or our officers at an unreasonable risk. And, yes, we are going to try to catch you. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think that policies like this, first of all, kudos to Glendale and kudos to other police departments that are saying enough is enough. You know, you've got, and like I say, mostly it's going to be juveniles driving stolen cars. It's not always that, but that's mostly what the situation is going to be. There is a reason why people run from the police. Normally, you know, you do something, you make an illegal U-turn, you get caught for speeding, you blow through a red light or whatever, the police put on the bubble lights, you are going to pull over. There is a reason why people run. And that reason could be that it's a stolen car. It could be that you are in the process of committing another crime. It could be that you don't have a driver's license and shouldn't be driving. I don't know. All those reasons. But whatever the reason is for somebody running, it means that they should not be on the street. And you should not allow them to get away. So these different policies where you say, all right, I don't know why the guy has just run from me. You're the police officer. I don't know why the guy has run from me, but all I know is he did. I went to pull him over. Um, I was getting out of my car. He drove off. I was sitting at the red light. The guy sped up and blew through the red light. I tried to pull him over. He ran off. I, as a member of the community, want that person to be chased, and I want that person to be caught. And then, of course, it's another topic. I want the person, once they're caught, whether they're a juvenile or an adult, I want them to be held accountable. And, of course, again, like I say, that's another topic. The juveniles, you send them to Milwaukee County, the juvenile court system, and that's a joke in and of itself. But at least from the perspective of law enforcement, I want them caught. And I understand that occasionally when these people drive off at a high rate of speed, there's going to be a bad thing that happens. More often than not, it ends up being that the driver of the car, the bad guy or bad gal, who ends up losing control and hitting the tree or something. And sometimes there's very unfortunate results, and that's too bad. But that's caused by the decision to run away. Now, I'm not saying that you say, all right, we're going to initiate a chase and it's going to go through Bayshore Shopping Center at 9 o'clock in the morning when there's all sorts of people that are out there on the streets. You obviously have to be smart about it. But this idea that we are going to try to catch people who are running away and we're not going to let them go, that is long, long, long overdue. And to the extent that the suburbs are willing to do it, I applaud the suburbs. Part of the reason why I think you have so many people running is, again, because in the city of Milwaukee, they had this asinine policy of not chasing, and people lost sight of the fact that, gee, I'm in Glendale, or I'm in Whitefish Bay, or I'm in Wauwatosa, not in the city of Milwaukee, and they thought that they could run because they'd been running from Milwaukee cops for years and years. This, this idea of more chases, I think, is a positive thing. Hopefully... 
if you combine it with the DA's office being willing to issue charges when people do this, and then, of course, the judges having a sea change in attitude saying we're actually going to hold people accountable, you put all that together, and maybe you've got the start of a somewhat safer community where, all right, maybe people don't think that they can run from the cops with impunity. Just saying. All right, when we come back, a lot of great stuff coming up on the remaining portion of the program, including the feds crack down on recreational marijuana use. Potheads of Wisconsin get ready to unite. And um, Panera closes another pay-what-you-want cafe. Who could be? Who could have known that this wouldn't have worked? Stick around. It's 159. Two oh seven, Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us on New Year's Eve. I was sitting in a restaurant and I was talking to some people who were here for the weekend from Mississippi. Um, and of course, if you will recall, on New Year's Eve, we were in the middle of this. If I never hear the word polar vortex, words polar vortex again, I will be very, very happy. But they were. This is New Year's Eve. They had just come in. And they were visiting family, and, and I happened to just run into them. And I was talking to, um, it was a mother and father and two teenage kids. And I was talking to the teenagers, and they were telling me they're from Mississippi, and they were they were um, just looking at this 5 or 10 degree below weather and just kind of shaking their head going, I, they don't understand how people live there. And they just could not wait to get back to Mississippi. Well, Unfortunately, they took the cold weather with them. Now, I understand in Mississippi it's nothing like this, but you know, Belinda was doing the news story about the, this cold snap, which is really hitting the um, most of the continental U.S. right now. Um, toilets aren't flushing in, Minna- in Mississippi at the state house, so they've had to bring in you know, porta potties. It's just um, in the South, they just don't deal with this kind of weather, and hopefully, this will just be something that breaks pretty soon. It's supposed to be up to the 30s by Sunday, but then. Uh, uh, gets cold again by the end of next week. It doesn't look like it gets stupid cold like it has been for a while, but uh, it gets cold again. Welcome to January in Wisconsin. All right, let me kind of back into this topic with a way of explanation. There, I, I think sometimes there's confusion about what it is that gets people thrown, getting people indicted in federal court versus what it is that gets people charged in, in state court. There are some crimes which are exclusively handled by a district attorney. They are state crimes. And then there are a limited number of crimes which are under the federal jurisdiction. I was a federal prosecutor back in, in the day. And typically, and then sometimes there's, there's an overlap. For example, let's take bank robbery. It's illegal to rob, if you rob a bank, um, you can be prosecuted under state law. There, there's a state statute that says bank robbery is illegal. You can also be prosecuted in federal court. There is a federal statute that says that bank robbery is illegal. If you charge somebody with robbing a bank um, in federal court, one of the things that you have to show is that there's some federal impact. In other words, you have to show that it was a federally insured institution. Most of the banks and savings and loans are. 
Um, I guess there's a handful that might not be. But to get jurisdiction to charge the crime in federal court, you have to prove that, okay, it was a federal bank or his bank was, you know, FDIC insured or something like that. You need a hook to get federal jurisdiction where you wouldn't need to prove that element if you were just trying to do it in state court. Kidnapping. Kidnapping is a violation of state law. Well, if you charge kidnapping, which is also a violation of federal law, you have to show that there is some effect on interstate commerce. For example, if you kid, kidnap somebody in Wisconsin, you take them to Illinois, you've crossed state lines, boom, you, you've got it there. But there's always going to be that federal connection, that interstate connection, that extra element that you're going to have to prove if you charge a case in federal court. And that's why for some offenses, um, for example, murder. As a general rule, there, there's not a federal murder statute. Now, if you murder a federal official or you murder a judge, um, okay, or you murder somebody on federal land, you murder somebody on a military base, that's a different story. But in general, you know, somebody shoots and kills somebody else on, you know, in the mean streets of downtown Milwaukee, that's not a federal offense as a general rule because there's no there's no tie to interstate commerce. It's it's just it's just a horrible crime and it's murder. One of the things that is where there's dual jurisdiction has to do with drugs. Um, it is a violation of state law, for example, to sell heroin or cocaine or in Wisconsin marijuana. It is also a violation of federal law to sell heroin or cocaine or methamphetamine or all these various controlled substances. Um, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I spent a number of years as a drug, as a narcotics prosecutor. And sometimes cases would be handled by the DA's office, and sometimes cases would be handled by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Typically what happened is the U.S. Attorney's Office would concentrate on like the the bigger cases because the federal penalties were greater and the federal government as a federal prosecutor you had you know more resources with the ways you could get information and things like that but you you could charge a cocaine case you could charge it in federal court or you could charge it in state court i mean and it was just essentially you know who's working on the case and what is the what's the agreement that that is there you have dual jurisdiction it is against the law to deal against federal law, to deal in traffic and marijuana, right? Uh, one of the very first drug cases I ever had came out of Washington County. I remember the guy's name. Remember the guy's name. They found a rental truck, like a U-Haul or a Ryder rental truck. It had 1,872 pounds of marijuana in it. Um, and, and they found it, and actually... It was crummy marijuana. The guy had driven down to Florida. He'd bought all this dope, uh, bought all this pot. They'd sold him bad pot, um, dried out pot. He got it back here. He couldn't sell it. And so then he was sort of stuck with it. Plus, he owed the money for it. It was, but it was kind of an interesting case. But I found a, a rider truck, rental truck, with like a ton and a half of marijuana in it. So, I mean, that was one of the first cases I handled. All right. The state could have charged him or the federal government could have charged him. We charged them federally. Now, I don't. In all the years I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, even handling drug prosecutions, I don't remember handling 
more than a couple marijuana prosecutions? I mean, a couple, like I say, you, you find a ton and a half of marijuana. Yeah, that, that would be something that the federal government would be interested in. But nevertheless, I mean, selling marijuana on the street is a federal crime. All right, which brings us to the present day. A number of states, so far eight states and the District of Columbia, have laws allowing for personal pot consumption. And I'm not even I'm not talking about medical marijuana now. That's let's even put that aside. I mean just personal pot consumption. And you know, California's become the latest state that with the approval of a municipality, if the municipality signs off, you can have these again marijuana emporiums that sell recreational amounts of pot. Colorado's another one like that. So it's legal in the state to sell it. Even though it's legal under state law, it's still a crime under federal law. You know, distributing, you know, marijuana um, in Colorado might be perfectly fine under the state law of Colorado, but nevertheless, Colorado is one of the 50 states in the union, and it is a violation of federal law. Now, during the Obama administration, going back to really about 2013, the Obama administration essentially sent out an order to all the lawyers that worked in the U.S. Attorney's offices and the Criminal Division of the Department of Justice that said, even though trafficking in marijuana is against the law, we, against federal law, don't enforce it, especially in states, you know, where it, it's legal. So if you catch somebody that's dealing pot, for example, in a state where recreational pot use is okay, don't prosecute it. Just look the other way. Let it go. Even though it's a federal crime, let it go. Uh, today, the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions, has essentially rolled back those those orders. Um, he sent out a memo today to the U.S. attorneys, and the local U.S. attorneys are responsible for handling criminal prosecutions. And he said, federal law prohibits the possession and sale of marijuana. And he said, all right, th- these, these other notes that said just don't prosecute it, forget about them. He said prosecutors should use their own discretion, taking into consideration the fact that we do have limited resources um, in deciding whether or not charges are appropriate. But what he writes is, it is the mission of the Department of Justice to enforce the laws of the United States, and the previous issuance of guidance undermines the rule of law. That would be don't prosecute marijuana dealers in states where marijuana is legal. Um, the previous issuance of guidance undermines the rule of law and the ability of our local, state, tribal, and federal law enforcement partners to carry out this mission. Therefore, today's memo on federal marijuana enforcement simply directs all U.S. attorneys to use previously established prosecutorial principles that provide them with the necessary tools to disrupt criminal organizations, tackle the growing drug crisis, and thwart violent crime across the country. In other words, he is saying if you think it is appropriate, you are authorized to prosecute pot dealers even if they are operating um, in a state where recreational pot use is allowed. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is the Attorney General doing the right thing? He's essentially saying the law is the law. It's a Regardless of what Colorado or Washington or California says, 
it's illegal to deal marijuana in this country in violation, at least according to federal law. And if you think it is appropriate, Mr. or Ms. Prosecutor, you should feel free to go ahead and prosecute them. All right. Is this a mistake or is this just a recognition that, you know, prosecutors should be following the law? I'll tell you where I come down on this and we will discuss in a minute. It's 218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's against federal law to sell marijuana. It's also against federal law to possess marijuana. Um, But in general, it's not enforced very vigorously. And since 2013, essentially dealing marijuana in states where it's legal to sell marijuana, like Colorado, for example, that the federal government has been told, even though it's against federal law, don't enforce it. The Attorney General issued a memo today saying that that guidance, forget about it. You know, if you think it is appropriate to bring charges, the fact that it's legal to sell marijuana in Colorado uh, under state law shouldn't stop you from enforcing it against federal law. Now, this doesn't mean that I think the federal government's going to go and try to shut down every legal um, marijuana emporium that they can find. What it does mean is, especially for people who are selling marijuana outside of those stores, hey, be, be prepared that the feds might be coming after you. Tom and Racine. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you today? Real well, thank you. Okay, is Sessions making a mistake? No, uh, he's not making a mistake. What he's doing is his job. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he's doing a good enough job. Let me explain that a little bit. Right now, marijuana is illegal on the federal level because it is listed as a Schedule One drug. Yep. That puts it on par with heroin, crack cocaine, and a lot of other dangerous drugs. Now, I'm pretty certain if, if we took, I, and I think Trump has the finger on the pulse of this country, and if he could tweet about it, he'd bring a notoriety to it. But um, if we took the pulse of the nation right now, I don't think anybody would believe and the state laws changing in favor of marijuana are evidence of this, that marijuana deserves to be a Schedule One drug. To be treated so, the same way as heroin, yep. Exactly. So Sessions is doing the right thing. He's, he's doing his job. He's enforcing it. But he's not doing a good enough job because who who actually makes a determination uh, uh, whether or not Mary Jane deserves to be a Schedule One drug? And that's the DEA. Right. Now, as far as I know, um, Jeff Sessions would have the power. I could be wrong on this, uh, but I think he could get something through um, to deschedule it. And, and let's face it, nobody believes that anymore. I mean, it's ignorant at this point. I mean, we have state laws. There, there are industries cropping up here. We've got not only an economic opportunity here, but but um, an opportunity in terms of reducing crime. The, the reason that we have so much crime with uh, re- regards to drugs is that we criminalize marijuana. Well, let's get marijuana out of the hands of the criminals and into the hands of the people who know how to grow it, tax it, and use it for good. What would you feel about, let's say you have people who, Col- um, all right, Colorado marijuana is legal. So they, they go to Colorado, and I don't even talk about dealing with cartels, buy a bunch of legal marijuana, bring it across state lines into another state where marijuana isn't legal, and then start selling it there. Would you think those folks would be... Um, Right for prosecution? Absolutely. Absolutely they would. And because that's the current federal law. Again, I'm not disagreeing. I, I right. think we should uphold our laws and we should live within our laws. But 
we also have to be able to recognize a bad law when we have one. Uh, and scheduling marijuana as schedule one drug is 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 wrong. Yeah, th- thanks for the call, Tom. See, I actually up up to a point, I I agree with you. I I think this is one of the problems that you had in the Obama administration, where you had a, a president, so President Obama, who saw certain laws that he did not like. And so what he decided to do was he decided to simply say, we're not going to enforce them. I don't like this law with regard to immigration. So I'm going to direct people who work for immigration not to follow this particular law. Now, maybe you agree with him that it's a bad law, but that's that's not what our system is all about. Our system is not all about, we, we don't elect you know, kings, we, we have presidents that are in charge of the executive branch. And one of the things that I, I think President Trump doesn't get enough credit for is simply rolling back these executive orders, particularly the executive orders that conflict with the law. I don't care whether it's a liberal president or a conservative president. I don't think presidents should be in positions where they say to the cops, this is a law in the books, don't enforce it. Now, what happens is if you if you think that, you know, if you think that marijuana should be legalized, well, the way you do that is you go to Congress and you say, look, all right, we can, you know, we, we can take marijuana out of the U.S. criminal code. You know, we can list this as, you know, Congress, Congress, you know, with with two meetings could legalize marijuana if that was what they wanted to do on the federal level. I think the attorney general and Eric Holder, I've said this before, I think he was the worst unindicted attorney general in American history. And that's going some. But I mean, I think that this idea that we're going to tell people not to enforce the law is wrong. Sessions is right, I think, in what he did saying enforce the law. Now, again, I think if I was a U.S. attorney, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm going to send my guys and gals out and I'm going to take the investigators and I'm going to go try to look for somebody who's selling dime bags of marijuana on the corner. That, to me, is a waste of of resources. At the same time, though, if you have, even in states where possession of marijuana is legal, you know, if you've got somebody who's, I don't know, driving up with a rider rental truck full of pot and is selling it on the black market. Yeah, I, I think they deserve to, and I think they should be prosecuted. I'm not sure that this is going to really make any difference at all. It's getting a lot of attention. You're going to see this story on the news tonight, and people are going to be, oh, this is the war on marijuana. I, I think what Jeff Sessions is really doing is saying, here's the law. Apply those normal standards. And, and like I say, um, I, I spent a long time chasing drug peddlers when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I, I, I can, I can count on two fingers, and there might have been more. But you know, we weren't dealing, we weren't prosecuting marijuana dealers, and, unless they were large-scale dealers, and in many cases tied in with selling other sorts of drugs as well. I think this isn't going to change anything in any sort of material way. But I do agree with our caller, Tom. I think what has to happen is. We, we do have to have a conversation in this country. Have we reached a point where we think the legalization of marijuana is is a decent thing, or at least the decriminalization of it? Um, and we do need to figure out a way to, I don't know, um, if the states want to do this, do, does the federal government need to fall in? Is marijuana not that big a deal? That's a dialogue we're going to have to have. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236. 
Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Groove's producing the show. You know when I'm out and about and people come up and ask me questions? You know what the three things are that they ask me the most about? No, it's not politics and stuff. Um, number three would be you. You're a producer. What, what, what's, what's he like? What's, where does that name come from? What, what's he like? And that, So you'd be number three. Number two would be my wife. People say, oh, we're so glad you got married. This is great. You know, tell, tell us about that. And number one, still number one, my dog. People, it's like, you know, you, you know, I haven't heard you talk about your dog for a while. You know, how she, how she doing, all that stuff. Because people love to hear about other people's dogs. At least, you know, I understand for some people, they just kind of roll their eyes and say, ah. But, but other people, if you're an animal lover, you, you get that. So, I mean, someday, I, I don't know, there, Gru, if you're going to be able to pass, you know, pass either Fran or pass Sasha. But, you know, you're, you're up in the top three. Now, I was thinking about this because Carson Wentz. You know who Carson Wentz is? Yeah, he's the he's injured right now, but he's the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and the Philadelphia Eagles really having a, a great season, and he's responsible for it. And, again, he, he's out with a, a knee injury, but he was having a great year. He's in his second year. He was drafted in 2016. He was the number two pick in the draft. He um, is from North Dakota, went to North Dakota State, was a quarterback there, and he's – very much into a lot of the outdoorsy type of activities. I mean, he grew up again in, in North Dakota. And he's, he's a big hunter and he's an animal lover. So he's got dogs. So here's, here's the story. And, and several of the dogs are hunting dogs. So he uses the dog. I mean, you know, I think for many people, you know, if you're a duck hunter or a goose hunter, a, a lot of times you, you train the dogs. The dogs are the retrievers. You're there with the dog and you're duck blind or the boat or whatever. You shoot the goose. You shoot the duck. The dog goes and gets it and brings it back. Okay, that, that's what you use dogs for. All right, so he's got several dogs, but one of his dogs, five years old, um, her name is Henley. So what he does is he takes to Twitter the other day and he posts a couple of photos of of his dog um and he's got two photos next to each other one is a photo of the dog when she was a puppy cute little dog the second photo is the dog and she's a hunting dog um standing on a pile of dead geese you know that and apparently this was after i mean there's got to be one two three there's got to be at least a dozen maybe more geese and I, I assume that this particular photo um, it was taken after they had had a really successful hunting trip. So you've got the one as a puppy, then you've got the other one of the dog sitting on all these dead geese. Um, the tweet, this is what he writes. It says, happy fifth birthday to Mama Henley. Henley is the dog. We've been through a lot in five years. Best dog and hunting buddy I could ask for. So he, he sends that out. Now, maybe he should have anticipated this, but no sooner does he send this out than there is a firestorm over the Internet with people who are appalled that he would post this. For example, somebody responds by saying, as a friend, I wanted to immediately highlight that a man in your influential position might cause offense by posting this picture. The picture is the one of the dog standing on the pile of dead geese, which, again, presumably they had shot while they were on the hunting trip. 
more and more people then responded, oh, this is appalling, you know, you're, you're glorifying, you know, hunting, how awful is this? And, you know, Carson Wentz um, decided to respond to this, and, and this is what he said. He said, look, I, I understand that some people might be offended, but I understand that... Uh, I understand that some people might be upset, but offensive and controversial, two of the main things I tweet about are Jesus and hunting. That's what I'm passionate about, and that won't ever change. When you love something, you talk about it. Stay convicted about it, and don't worry what others think. So in other words, he's saying for people who are upset about this, you need to get over it. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, you've got this picture of the dog, and the dog is standing on all these dead geese that presumably the dog um, or other dogs had, had acted and retrieved that day. Some people are offended by this. Should he have backed off? Should he have hesitated to send this photo out? Is this a photo that reasonable people could find offensive, or is this, again... You know, somebody who is passionate about his activities, loves the dog, and this is a photo of a memory of apparently a very successful and special hunting trip. Should Carson Wentz be apologizing? Should he have felt bad? Should he have rethought his decision to send out this tweet? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. While Gru is lining up the calls, I'll give you my take on this. Here, Here's the look. There are people out there who are going to be offended by by everything. You know, I describe them as the politically correct and the per- perpetually offended. All right, in this particular situation, the guy has a passion for hunting. He also has a deep love for his, his animals. All right, in this case, it is a hunting animal. I don't think he has anything to apologize for. If somebody doesn't like goose hunting or duck hunting or whatever, I respect that. But you know what? He didn't do anything wrong, and if you're offended by this, I think it's more your problem than anybody else's. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Doug in Oak Creek. Doug, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm an avid deer hunter, both with the bow and arrow and um, with the rifle or shotgun or whatever. And also, um, it doesn't interest me to hunt waterfowl. I tried it once, and and I really didn't like the taste of it, so hence I don't do it. But I am a proponent of people being able to share their their feelings and love for animals along with also hunting animals with animals. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, I think he's totally in the right to toot his horn about whatever he wants to do. I would love to see the photo of the dog sitting by all the geese. <laughs> It, it, it tickles me to death. Yeah. I don't enjoy them, but I do like venison a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's it's lot. not like it's not like he's tweeting a picture of himself while he's holding a, you know a, a big old marijuana cigarette, you know, right. trying to pretend to be a gangster, playing with a gun. He, you know, he he's out there. This is it's the guy's a hunter. He's been hunting since he was a kid. He loves the dog, and he was successful. You know, what's the problem with something like this? You know, right. it, it's a tribute to the dog. Here's the other thing, the, my last point, is it's not illegal. No, of course not. not. Illegal. It's legal. It's perfectly legal. Even even our, our governor was a big proponent of, of sure. um, taking and lightening up on the, on the crossbow law so people can hunt with a crossbow. Um, there are so many deer. There's so many geese. Did you ever go out there and some of these 
um, industrial park, and there's like a million <laughs> geese there. But, right, and exactly. No, I mean, thanks, no, exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I guess I, yeah, that, that, that's it. Plus, I mean, people, people are duck hunters. This is, I mean, this is one of the things. You know, you, you go duck hunting or goose hunting or whatever. I mean, this is, you train these dogs to do this. This is, this is a boy and his dog, and they're out hunting, and this was obviously a very successful hunt. The guy loves the dog. Clearly, he loves the dog. This is a tribute to, I mean, as he describes it, um, as he describes it, best dog and hunting buddy I could ask for. I think that that's, I think that that's very, very cool. Mark in Wauwatosa. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I kind of agree with this last caller, you know. I mean, it's like hunting or fishing. Um, you're, you're getting food, uh, you know. I don't see anything wrong with it at all. And the fact that he's got his man's best friend companion along with him, you know, it makes it better. You know, I, I don't see anything wrong with it at all. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. I got an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, note on our, our text line. Never apologize for what you love and what you do. Um, you know, he also needs to get helmets for people to hand out. Okay, do we have a uh, traffic thing, Eric Bilstadt? Yes, 4145 northbound in Waukesha County. An accident near Main Street has shut down two lanes, the two left lanes. And because of that, you are crawling right now. Northbound 45 from Good Hope to Q is an 18-minute trip. So significant delays heading north. There's only one lane open at this point. You may want to consider taking an alternate route if you can or pack your patience. No word yet on when they'll have that cleared up. And we'll continue to keep you updated. Craig and Waukesha. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good topic. Well, uh, I, it just, it's one of these things that irritates me. you got all these people that are upset. Oh, he's glorifying killing animals and stuff. He's a hunter, for goodness sakes. He's showing how much he's showing his passion for his hunting and for his dog, and I give him credit for it. Well, you develop a real bond with your dog when you're out, and, and usually it's just the two of you. I hunt pheasants and, and quail and grouse, so it's in the woods and in the fields. It's not, it's not waterfowl. But it's still the same thing. Right. You're, you're working as a team. The dog finds the scent and flushes the bird. And if you're successful, it brings it back to you. And, and yeah. if you can tell the dog is proud when he brings it back, and the tail is wagging and the ears are flapping, and it's, um, it's just a neat experience. Yeah, and, and the fact, look, and I understand that there's some people who are appalled by the notion of hunting and, and don't think it should be a sport or things like that, but they really need to get over themselves, don't they? Well, if they didn't grow up with that, then I can understand how you, you don't get involved in it. But when you are involved in it, it's very gratifying, and the, and the dog is a special part of that, and he's proud of his dog. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks for the call. And I mean, I, I love it. He, he's being, there, you know, somebody's saying, well, you better be careful about this because people are going to find it offensive and controversial. And he's like, offensive and controversial? <laughs> he said, look, I, I tweet about stuff I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about hunting. I'm passionate about my relationship with God. And yes, I talk about those things. And you know what? I'm not going to change to which it pains me to say this about a Philadelphia Eagle, but I'm saying you go, guy. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That is, of course, Smuggler's Blues by the late, great Glenn Fry. Uh, NFL viewership, numbers out, no surprise. NFL TV viewership taking a heavy hit again in 2017. Um, broadcasts um, for pretty much everything 
dipped uh, from last year and by a larger percentage than last year. Um, most of the audience is off about 10%, which is a big number. Lots of reasons for that. And I also appreciate that sometimes may- maybe people are still watching the NFL games on you know, other platforms. But bottom line is the, the NFL's got an issue. They- they've got an issue with the injuries um, where you have all these all-star players that get hurt. They've got an in- issue with the players who are staging the protests and turning off a large group of people. And they've got an issue with the, the, the product. I mean, these Thursday night games that are just awful. I mean, just just awful that, first of all, it's a lot of times not competitive. Secondly, you know, lead to these injuries. I mean, the NFL, I mean, I understand they've always thought that they were a cash cow, but they really perhaps need to kind of rethink this. So the numbers are in. Not a great season. All right, numbers that are also in that are really, really good. For the third consecutive day, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up, up big time. The Dow is about to close for the first time over 25,000. Um, it's up 143 points today. Um, right now, 25,066. So it'll close somewhere around that. The NASDAQ up again. NASDAQ's been up huge. That's the technology-laden industry. A lot of people have investments in that. But the stock market is just absolutely roaring. Um, and for, for everybody that talks about, you know, concerns about President Trump over this, that, or the other thing, truth is, um, at least on paper, a lot of people that have money invested in the stock market, and a lot of you do, maybe you don't own individual stocks, but you've got money tied up in your 401ks or your IRAs or whatever, um, you are doing extremely, extremely well. All right, it's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what... Melissa and John have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. Jeff Wagner.